Since 1998, Stamps.com has been an indispensable tool for nearly 1 million businesses. Stamps.com brings the services of the U.S. Postal Service and UPS shipping right to your computer. Whether you're an office sending invoices, a side hustle Etsy shop, or a full-blown warehouse shipping out orders, Stamps.com will make your life easier. All you need is a computer and a standard printer. No special supplies or equipment. Within minutes, you're up and running, printing official postage for any letter, any package, anywhere you want to send. And you'll get exclusive discounts on postage and shipping from USPS and UPS. Once your mail is ready, just schedule a pickup or drop it off. No traffic, no lines. Cut the confusion out of shipping. With Stamps.com's new rate advisor tool, you can compare shipping rates and timelines to easily find the best option. Save time and money with Stamps.com. There's no risk. And with our promo code, POD, P-O-D, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in POD. That's Stamps.com, promo code P-O-D. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. The Oracle Network. Welcome to Yield Crime, where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me is my sister and co-host, Maddie Stangle. Hello. Hello. How's it going? It's going. Yeah? Start of a new week. We're actually recording on a different day, which is strange. And we're recording in the evening, which is also strange. Yeah. But it works. It does. You want to tell them why? Yes. Today we are joined by my husband, Thomas. Hello, everybody. And the reason we're having Thomas on this time is because this week's episode happens to come out on his birthday. So I thought it would be a fun birthday present to let him pick out this week's topic. And he gets to kind of close out spoopy month for us with the exception Mm -hmm. of our Halloween episode. So... Do you want to, without necessarily telling Maddie what you picked, do you want to kind of explain your thought process behind what you chose? Sure. And I will say I do appreciate this present because it's probably one of the most valuable presents you've ever given me, knowing how much time you put into researching these things. So just from like the investment of your hours, your hour currency, I, I really appreciate that. Aww. Yeah. And in thinking about what I would want you to look into, I've always had a fascination with a certain larger, hairy type mysterious creature that (laughs) lives in forests around the world, you know, known as yetis, wendigos, sasquatches, whatever. And I thought that there, it might be interesting to think about, you know, where the two paths cross yield crime and giant hairy beasts in the woods that may or not be real. That's awesome. I also have to say that it was pretty perfect that one of your children made a pterodactyl scream the second Thomas was introduced. So I really yeah. hope that's in the audio because it was oh, like, I, a, 
I'm not the only person in the house that makes weird sounds that get picked up on the microphones that am I? No. It's amazing now that my office is upstairs, just the amount of background stuff that gets picked up when we're recording oh that I have to be like, stop and re-say something. So it's not just you. But anyway, with that introduction, it shouldn't surprise you to find out that this week we are going to be discussing the Zana Yeti. What? Ooh, it's a specific type of Yeti. Yes, it is. And you will soon find ah. out who I do you, do you think that different Yetis have different accents based on where they are in the world? I think Appalachian Yeti versus like an Alaskan Yeti. I picture an Appalachian Yeti wearing like a funky hat and just carrying around a banjo by a default. And like skulls as a necklace. I think the first time people walked into the woods and heard an elk bugle or something like that, they must have figured <laughs> something goofy was going on. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It is a really jarring noise if you've never heard. And how could that not be some some giant guy with right. his hands out to his head going, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> No, it's just a giant deer. Yeah. Like scratching yeah. his back or something. Mm-hmm. Well, and if you think about it, there are lots of different animals out there that make crazy sounds that you would not expect them to make by yeah. looking at them. So yeah, it doesn't surprise me that people way back when thought there were a lot crazier creatures out there so than there actually noises. are based off of the noises they create. <laughs> I just know I keep thinking about that one. What is it? It's like, uh, it's not a porcupine, but it's something that just like screams and it sounds like a, like a middle-aged woman screaming. <laughs> and that's just how it talks. It's like, <laughs> like that's all it does <laughs> i can't remember i think otters make that kind of noise too yeah no they make like, like a i would think that could you imagine you're like on a boat and you hear that and you're like oh, the boat's getting eaten like, that's, that's what's happening we're haunted all right cool this is happening great this is how i die all right so all right let's get yes. started Information was pulled from the following sources, a 2021 Great Kashmir article by Dr. Farooq Ashik, a 2021 Wiley Advanced Genetics article by Ashat Margaryan. I'm going to butcher all these names and I apologize in advance because you're very smart people. <laughs> Mikhail Holgar S. Sinding, Christian Karo, Vladimir Yamshikov, Igor Burtsev, and M. Thomas P. Gilbert, a 2020 The Mystery Box article by Brown Lotus. 2015 Lab Roots article by Robert Woodard, 2015 Tech Times article by Jim Algar, 2013 Channel 4 article, and All Cryptid Fandom Wiki. I got to say, you found way more references than I thought you would have. And a lot of <laughs> newer ones, too. Yeah. yeah. The 2010s were, it was the season of the Yeti, apparently, the tw early 2010s. The 2020s. Was that like two of them are very, very recent? They're like this year. So, but yeah, the, the twenties and the, the tens were good times in Yeti research, apparently. <laughs> and links to all these articles will be included in the show notes. And I did a bad thing and I did not translate any of these towns. So we're going to That's Russia. Part of the fun, isn't it? Yeah, oh we're gosh, going to I... Russia. So we'll see how I do. I know one of our listeners, they think it's the best thing whenever like you mispronounce something or like. They just, they think it's part of it. They're like, yeah, I do the same thing. 
Yeah, like how do you how do you even <laughs> like because you'll even ask Google and Google has the robot take on it, so it's not quite right either. So they're like, I actually find that really entertaining because I'd be in the same boat of like these are words. <laughs> <laughs> I can read. You have your Sioux cities. Yeah, yeah, I can read it, but I can't say it. So yeah. So in the remote Oshamshir region of Georgia in Russia, which is located in the Republic of Abkhazia. A group of hunters led by a local merchant came upon a peculiar site in the 1870s. She stood at six feet, six inches tall, so just one inch shorter than Thomas. Dang. And eyewitnesses claimed she had, quote, the characteristics of a wild animal, end quote, even though she was also obviously a young woman if her massive bosom was any indication. Hilarious. Yeah, so this is exactly what I thought would have happened if I would have been around around that time. And then whatever the average height was, you know, in the fives, yeah. me walking around the forest, I would immediately be identified <laughs> as some sort of otherworldly creature. <laughs> it's like what happened when we were in Remsen that one time? What did that teenager oh. yell out the window when they were driving past when they saw you? I don't know. They couldn't believe it. And for people that are listening, I'm, I'm basically Harry from Harry and the Hendersons. <laughs> I, I was probably the tallest person they had ever seen, and I'm not abnormally tall. I'm just no. taller than average. Yeah. And this younger high school age kid, his friend was driving. He stuck his whole head out the window and pointed at me and said, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> and that was like your first introduction to like where Lindsay grew up. Where we like, lived in Iowa. And it's like, yeah, yeah. It was the first, that was like the first time we visited I need to make sure I'm always carrying a basketball with me so I seem less threatening. <laughs> you just throw basketballs at them. Catch. That was the running joke that my friend and I had is that when we visit South Korea, I was going to wear Chicago Bulls get up or something like that just to you know clout chase on an actual basketball yeah. player when it's in a foreign country. Yeah. Get like just a have people ring. assume. Mm -hmm. fake, fake nose ring or something. She also had thick arms, legs, and fingers, and was covered in coarse red hair like an ape covering her black skin. Ooh. I bet she would have been really striking. Red hair and, and black skin. Mm-hmm. It was also noted that her, quote, most frightening feature oh, no. was her expression, which was pure animal, end quote. <laughs> I wonder what that actually describes. Is that like an elongated snout? Like a lower mandible type thing or just an animalistic expression? Like, I, I don't know. It's <laughs> like she's trying to smile, but she's never smiled in her life and has no idea what to do, has no frame of reference. Like when you pet Kona, or I'm sure other dogs, like right under her chin, and it looks like she's trying to smile, but like her lips just curl up and it's like, <laughs> I can't tell if you're happy or angry. Yeah. <laughs> I just picture like an orangutan face with like the creases. In the eyebrows, like in like the forehead and stuff. In the yeah. forehead and stuff. Okay, that's a good point. So red, coarse hair, and darker mm -hmm. skin, right? That's closer mm -hmm. to yeah. an orangutan. Yeah. Yeah. And this is in Russia, so that would have been a very strange sight. Right. It took a whole group of hunters to subdue and shackle her. No. Which I gotta say, that's my first inclination <laughs> when I see something like that: is get the townsfolk to subdue and shackle. <laughs> We got to take care of this right now. We got to shave her. Also, my biggest fear of walking through a new town is being subdued <laughs> and shackled. So, 
<laughs> so maybe, yeah, play up the basketball thing so you don't get shackled. See, I'm a friendly giant. <laughs> These are the things you have to be aware of. As a tall man. There you go. They named her Zana. Zana was fast enough to outrun a horse and strong enough to swim across the violent waves in the Moskva River, even when it rose to high tide. How did they know that? Maybe they were like, Zana. Let's, let's experiment. What happens if you go over there? Well, if they attempted to subdue and shackle her, I wonder how long that took. Maybe she was grounding and swimming. Yeah. Yeah, maybe she ran away and she did try to swim across the river or something. She just did a triathlon to get away. <laughs> it's an she lost out at the bike part. She just couldn't yeah, figure it she out. Couldn't, she couldn't figure the bike. <laughs> That's when they got her. She was like, I don't I don't know how this worked. They would have let her go if only she would have completed it. <laughs> if only she could get the training wheels off. That's the real thing. Yeah. For the first few years, she was held in captivity in the oh. village. She was so violent, she had to be kept in a, quote, ditch surrounded by sharpened spikes, end quote. Oh, that's awful. Yeah. How do you not react violently? That seems like you're kind of gaslit at that point, being subdued, shackled, given some odd name, thrown into a hole. Stared at constantly. Mm -hmm. Just thrown in a big hole. Yeah. And it's it's not like it's nice weather. Being in a ditch in Russia is probably not ideal ever in any season. Yeah. The details of her life in that small Russian village are vague at best, but Mm -hmm. it's said that after she calmed down some, you know, after she like just got her shit together, she was taught to perform domestic tasks such as grinding corn. What? Yep. (laughs) That's so specific. We know you're really mad. Here's some corn. (laughs) You're really mad. You're really strong. You're really fast. You're a great swimmer. Why don't you just concentrate on sitting down and grinding corn? (laughs) That's not even the best use of her talents. No. Yeah. Unsurprisingly, Zana had a high tolerance for cold and refused to wear clothes, becoming aggressive if she was forced to do so to the point that she would destroy any that were presented to her. So she's got, she's over six feet tall. She's got ample bosom. What are the chances that they had clothes that would fit her? They probably made them. Yeah. And then they probably weren't all that glamorous looking either. No, I bet they were like tablecloths. It was probably just a like bunch of potato sacks. They, yeah, I doubt it was strung together. Comfortable. Yeah, we tried to clothe her, but she didn't like them. So we, we gave up. Yeah. (laughs) She disliked being in warm rooms as well and dug a shallow hole for herself outside where she chose to sleep each night. That's probably what she used to do. Yeah. Zana also loved to eat. Her favorite food was grapes, which is interesting. Very interesting. I don't know how abundant that is in remote Russia, but... It must be. It was a fun fact that I found about her. Yeah. She also enjoyed running in the hills, climbing trees, and fighting off dogs with rather large sticks. I really want to see that, actually. As you do. (laughs) <laughs> was very popular back in the day. <laughs> Where did she get sticks? I don't know. Around? I need, <laughs> I need my she, little dog stick. She just takes down a tree <laughs> to get a branch and starts swinging at dogs. She also loved to lounge around with her friends, the buffaloes, in nearby pools. Yeah, they like to do the same things. They wear the same clothes. They're both covered oh. in luxurious reddish-orange hair. Right. It's so bizarre, like the the angle from subdue and shackle this insane creature to keeping her in a hole 
to then going to domesticating her. And then at some point, somebody observed all these things and wrote it down. Yeah. 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 Now she's on like some sort of like reservation almost. Yeah. I know. I'm imagining some sort of like, this is the Russian version of like Little House on the Prairie or something. (laughs) (laughs) Zana was later purchased by a nobleman named Edgy Ganaba to be his servant. Edgy, quote unquote, tamed her and kept her on his estate in the village of Tkina. For the first three years that she lived there, her home was a crude cage outdoors where she'd once again dug a hole for herself to sleep in. And she continued to run around naked. Yeah. Because screw you, guy. Yeah. Probably why I bought her. Yeah. (laughs) Boobs. The locals got off on teasing Zana, to which she would howl and bare her teeth at them. Because, of course, it's easy to gawk at something when it's stuck in a cage and it can't get at you. Mm Mm-hmm. If only she had her dog beating stick. (laughs) Right. (laughs) If only she had a tree nearby to make some branches, eat some grapes. After a time, Edgy got rid of Zana's cage and just simply had her tethered inside a fenced-in enclosure. Awesome. Regardless of her savage appearance, Zana was very gentle and obedient for Edgy and would even help him take off his leather boots. Fancy. And specific. So then she would be able to... Take off the tether. Yeah. Because if she can untie shoes, she can untether herself. Well, I don't know what it the tether was. Maybe slip if on. It, yeah. Or if, like, I don't know if the tether was actual, like, shackles, like, yeah, irons or something. Soon, Edgy got rid of her tether as well, once it became clear that Zana had become comfortable living in captivity and hadn't bolted at the first opportunity once her shackles had been removed. Ah, so they were shackles. Yeah. Even though she never learned to speak, Zana was able to communicate through gestures and carried out the commands of her master without question. One of her chores included carrying huge sacks of grain that weighed up to 80 kilos, which she could do with ease with one hand. Wow. Yeah. So she was strong. Yep. Zana never learned to communicate with speech. It's unclear if she was unable to or just never had any interest in learning to do so. Probably the latter. She seems pretty, like, strong-headed. Yeah. Like, you know what, guys? No. I say good day. But this didn't keep her from giving birth to at least four children that were fathered by local men. No. Two daughters and two sons. And you're probably thinking to yourself, what? How? Well, the answer is simple. Alcohol. Great. See, the locals thought it would be fun to see how Zana would react to alcohol. And it wasn't long before Zana became dependent on it. Great. During bouts when she would be impaired, men from nearby villages would take advantage of her inebriated state and assault her. Great. This really is taking a turn here. Yeah. yeah. There is an account of her accidentally killing two of her children after trying to bathe them in a cold river shortly after their births. After this, any other children she gave birth to were taken from her and adopted by villagers who raised them as one of their own. This wasn't done to be mean to her. They genuinely believed they were doing it in the best interest of the children. Unlike everything else that she was subjected to. Exactly. Does it describe these offspring at all? Are they mostly human? Yeah. Yeah, we get to it. Yeah. Okay, because I was like, did they survive? So obviously the ones she put in the water did not survive. Right. The ladies of Edgy's household were scared of Zana, but she was always kind to them and never harmed anyone or any of the children that lived in the house. Okay. 
Zana later died on the estate in 1890 and was buried in the Ganaba family cemetery after 20 years in captivity. The exact location of where her grave was located was unknown. Yeah, that makes sense. Because people would like dig her up and mess with their bones and stuff. Yeah. Zana's children, who learned to speak and thrived under the care of their adoptive families, eventually had children of their own, and the youngest of Zana's offspring lived until 1954. Some of Zana's descendants still live near Oshamshir, and it's said that her grandchildren all had dark skin and were exceptionally strong. There are two rare photographs of a daughter and her son quit. Unlike Zana, they took after their fathers in the sense that none of them were born with her distinctive body hair. So now we're going to kind of go into trying to figure out where she came from. And that's where Professor Brian Sykes comes in. Okay. So Professor Sykes, who is a professor of human genetics at the University of Oxford, believes that Zana could have been the elusive and fabled Yeti and claims he has the evidence to back up this claim. I'm listening. <laughs> yeah. I'm intrigued. Okay. In 2013, Professor Sykes conducted DNA tests of six of her living descendants with their saliva and tested a tooth of her deceased son, Quit, whose grave was discovered in 1971 to determine her origins. Okay. They all contain enough African DNA for him to conclude that she was 100% sub-Saharan African even though she exhibited no physical or genetic resemblance to any peoples living in modern-day Africa. Hmm. He believes she was brought over as an Ottoman slave. Interesting. Oh. Professor Sykes believes Zana had a strain of West African DNA of a subspecies of modern humans. Scientists visited the village where she originally lived in the 1960s and met a 105-year-old man who remembered Zana. Wow. So this is the village before she was captured was captured, or the village that captured her? The village that captured her before she went to the estate where she lived and died. Okay. Gotcha. The skull of her son, Quit, was examined by Dr. Grover Krantz in the 1990s, and he noted that it had no Neanderthal features. If he was, in fact, a descendant of Zana, Dr. Krantz believes she may have been part of an isolated hunter-gatherer tribe that was so foreign to the Russian villagers that, to them at least, she appeared subhuman even though she wasn't. Interesting. One thing that Professor Sykes noted about Kowit's skull, as he was also able to examine it, was unlike Dr. Krantz's findings, Professor Sykes noted that Kowit's skull had some unusual features, such as eye sockets that would be considered much larger than a normal human's, a prominent brow ridge, and surprisingly an extra bone at the base of the skull. Weird. I wonder what the evolutionary benefit of an extra bone at the base of your skull would be. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that, you know, you don't have stories like this coming up in modern times as far as people like this being born and assumed to be a certain thing. There are so many different varietals mm -hmm. of genetics in humans. It's kind of sad when you realize that this was probably just some person that was born a certain way mm -hmm. and uh, got treated disparagingly based on how she looked. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wonder where she actually came from then. Yeah. Of her grandchildren, they look perfectly normal, but have dark skin and large facial features, which is unusual for the area because obviously yeah. they are still yeah. in rural Russia. They are also very strong and often pick fights with others. Nice. Her grandson, <laughs> Shalikula, demonstrated for the scientists just how strong he was by lifting a chair with a grown man sitting on it 
with just his bare teeth. Wow. I hate that. Don't do that again. <laughs> Don't do it. Don't do that. My teeth hurt now. <laughs> yeah. That Don't requires that. a lot of calcium. Professor Sykes theorizes that Zana's ancestors traveled from Africa over 100,000 years ago and settled in the remote Caucasus, where they stayed for generations until Zana herself was discovered in the 1850s to 1870s. Oh, so she was actually part of a tribe. Yeah. And she would just like wandered off or something. Got lost. Yeah. So if this is true then she could be proof of an unknown tribe of humans that were still in the process of evolution. Russian anthropologist M.A. Koldieva states that Kuwait's skull is significantly different from other males from Abkhazia. In his words, it, quote, approaches closest the Neolithic Volvnigi II skulls of the fossil series, end quote. I am not a scientist, so I don't know what that means. (sighs) I just assume it means it doesn't look like normal human skulls. Right. It sounds like it's from lots of many generations prior to what. Yeah, there's so many different jumps in what they have in the fossil record. Like Mm -hmm. the titular missing link is what they keep on trying to call to because there's not enough gradation between what they've uncovered and what we are today. Mm -hmm. Right. And I feel like, you know, Asia as a whole is so vast. Mm-hmm. as like a continent that it'd be really easy to not see everybody mm-hmm. <laughs> for tribes we to gotta, be like remote forever. Mm-hmm. So she, she could have been speaking and then yeah. they just, she wasn't speaking their language. So they just assumed she couldn't talk. Yeah. Possibly. Yeah. Some scientists think Zana was part of a species of hominid ape-like people that the locals refer to as Almas Warantas, as they're referred to in Kashmir, that are said to live in the woods and mountains. The first written records of this species can be found as far back as 1420 by a German man named Hans Schieberger, who was taken captive by Mongols and traveled with them through the Tian Shan Mountains of Central Asia. Quote, In the mountains themselves live wild people who have nothing in common with other human beings. A pelt covers the entire body of these creatures. Only the hands and face are free of hair. They run around in the hills like animals and eat foliage and grass and whatever they can find, end quote. Sounds like they're just having a great time. Yeah. Being in the mountains. Yeah. Like, hey guys, found some grass. (laughs) Grass? That's my favorite. (laughs) Not all of Professor Sykes' colleagues agree with his claims that Zana is a true yeti based on other research he's conducted in the past. He claims to have tested hair samples of a previously unknown and undocumented bear species in Bhutan that is behind the spate of yeti sightings in the area. He is convinced that the hair samples are evidence of what he considers, quote, anomalous primates, end quote, or Bigfoot, or Russian Alma Almasti, or proof of something out there that we've yet to discover in the most remote regions of the world. Some theorize that Zana suffered from a genetic mutation called congenital generalized hypertrichosis, where you're born with increased body hair on the face, back, and limbs. If you've seen photos of the quote-unquote wolfmen of India, then you Mm -hmm. have an idea of what this condition looks like. Yeah. This condition could also explain why she was unable to speak, her dysmorphic facial features, and her strange behavior, which were most likely a result of an intellectual disability, in addition to her long body hair. Yeah. Well, and you know, too, if if she did come from a small tribe, 
odds of like incest could be mm-hmm. pretty high if it's a very small tribe. Mm-hmm. Sure. It doesn't really explain her height and her strength and her speed and those other like apex type attributes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's just, just rage. Yeah. <laughs> rage growth. She rage grew. <laughs> Although I couldn't find the exact date, it should be noted that scientists did find the remains of an anonymous female in the Ganabas family cemetery. And after conducting a thorough analysis of the bones and sequencing the genomes of both the unknown female and of Kuwait, they were able to determine that the pair were a match in the sense that they were obviously directly related, leading them to conclude that the bones did in fact belong to Zana. After comparing Zana and Kuwait's nuclear genome variation to those of other populations around Africa, as well as two Mesolithic hunter-gatherers from the South Caucasus region where she was found in Russia, they were able to show that Zana is not genetically linked to other archaic humans or the chimpanzee, but instead belongs to a group of European-slash-Caucasian and African populations. Hmm. So like a mix of the two. Through the use of DNA analysis, scientists were able to back up Professor Sykes' claim that she could have come from the Ottoman Empire slave trade, which originated around present-day Sudan and the African Great Lakes. At the end of the day, Zana wasn't a mythical creature, but a simple woman with a genetic disorder that to others in the 19th century led them to believe she was nothing more than a wild beast. That's really sad. And that is the story of Zana Yeti. That's not all the bumps in the road I thought was going to happen. Like, I I did do an initial search to see if there were stories for this time period around Yetis or Wendigos or Sasquatches. And I did read into, like, a a quick blurb about the, I think it was, like, Russian Wife Yeti or something like that was the the name of the the search result. (laughs) And just on that alone, I was like, I got to throw this Lindsay's way. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it was a very interesting topic. It's certainly something I hadn't heard of before prior to researching it. Yeah, it's a new angle. Yeah, and obviously the last part of it where it's very technical and very medical jargony, scientific. That paper that I referenced, I understood like maybe five sentences in it. So I really had to like distill down what (laughs) they said because I was like, this hurts my brain meats. I don't understand. Yeah. It's interesting that there is that much scientific stuff done and like they were able to find bones and compare them and whatnot. Mm-hmm. This whole idea of finding Bigfoot being this really cool thing. And it's going to uncover all these, you know, historical ways we look at, at the evolution of man. When in reality, it's probably going to be, if we ever find him dead somewhere or a creature like that, it'll be explained away in a very similar fashion where it's like, mm-hmm. it's not exactly Bigfoot. Here's where it's a genetic mutation from this, that, and the other thing. Yeah. It's, it's curious stuff that we just have not touched yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I thought it was, it was very interesting that that on the one hand, there are a lot of scientific reasons as to why she was the way she was, but then it's still an anomaly. Like how she mm-hmm. ended up the way she did is still unexplained. Yeah. So it was kind of cool. So thank you, Thomas. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, Thomas. you're welcome. Thanks for thanks for looking into it. Yeah. Hello there, Gigawater Gang. I'm Kina, the host of the boozy and delightfully foul mouth comedy podcast, Historical AF. I'm a nerdy public historian that is joined by a special guest each week to deliver funny, weird, spooky, and morbid historical nuggets you never knew you needed in your ear holes. Past topics have included the magical manhood of Russia's mad monk Rasputin, 
My hot take, the aliens did not build the pyramids. Serial killers that both my parents happened to meet as children. Listen, I know what you're thinking. Kina, how do you even exist right now? Also, who was it? All right, I'll tell you. Spoiler alert, it was Sean Wayne Gacy and Mark Allen Smith. Anywho, we can't forget the spooky. I've covered topics ranging from the ghosts of Anne Boleyn to the night marchers in Hawaii. Don't like it, them guys. If you do, you have to strip naked and you have to lay on the dirt. Dim's the rules. You can listen and subscribe to Historical AF wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Historical AF Pod. And finally, you can check out the website for links to listen, sources, because citing is sexy, photos, and more at historicalafpodcast.com. Okay, bye! And this week's podcast plug is the Historical AF Podcast by Kina. On Kina's show, she chooses a topic and uses dice to determine how she'll cover and present the information in a fun and unique way. Nice. I've had the pleasure of guesting on her show twice. Once to share information on the three most common classes of Japanese cat spirits, and another to discuss the sad origins of the nursery rhyme Three Blind Mice, which we have also discussed on our show. Yep. It's dark, y'all. It's super dark. (laughs) So if you're interested in learning about history with a fun twist, I encourage you to give Historical AF a listen. It's awesome. And I will include a link in the show notes. And this week's listener question comes from the Tennis Podcast. They want to know, are there any topics you've considered covering that you ended up not covering for whatever reason? This one's yours. I know. <laughs> I was like, this is kind of a me question. If if I had a say, I'd say no cannibals ever, but I don't. So they're here. Sometimes. And I love making you uncomfortable. So I know you do. It brings me so much joy. <laughs> Some of the things that I've stumbled upon in my research, even though they are hilarious and something that I would love to cover. There's just not enough information about them to make it into a fully fledged episode. Yeah. That isn't to say that down the road, I couldn't do a compilation of a bunch of random things and do a bite-sized smorgasbord of stories. But as of right now, there's like a whole section on my rather impressive spreadsheet that very impressive spreadsheet is just short story ideas that when I went into them thinking they would work as a longer story, they didn't. So then I just kind of shelved them in a separate place. How frustrating is that? And how far do you go down that rabbit hole before you realize I have hit the end and it's not enough? It's usually something where I'll open up the first article and see how many like reference links are in that article. And then I'll Google it. And if there's no Wikipedia page, I'm assuming I'm not going to find a whole lot of information about it. That's kind of my... That's fair. That's one check I use, is if it's not enough to warrant a Wikipedia page, it's probably not enough to fill 30 minutes worth of content, at least on a podcast. Yeah. So what's something good you'd like to share this week, Maddie? There's nothing, there's nothing like specific, I think I can point to for something good. I think life has just been good recently. Mm -hmm. Like my job has been satisfying and my partner started a new job this week and his first day today went really, really well. He's in a different state training and he's been texting me off and on being like, they totally did this. And like, they bought me this and we're like, I'm learning this right now and he's just super excited. So that's cool. That that's kind of happening and the dogs so far are being little angel babies. <laughs> the youngest chief 
is notoriously like super, super good for 80% of the day. And then it's like he meets his quota of being good. And then he just like malfunctions. Mm-hmm. Like he's he's not even like being naughty to be naughty. He just like can't be good yeah. anymore. Yeah. And that's just how he operates. So he's like, yeah, I'm going to sit and listen. And then all of a sudden he's like, I'm going to run into the window. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm going to like knock over the water dish and hit the trash can. And it just, yeah. So he's been he's been good so far. So we'll see how long this lasts next week we might have another a new update depending because i'm with by myself with the dogs all week so we'll see how this goes but, check we check in this coming weekend and you're just like i hate everything i can't think of anything I, good the dogs have cornered me right i haven't eaten in three days <laughs> day eight <laughs> i am in the crate now <laughs> to escape it's the, from only, it's the only safe space in the house but yeah no, I, I can't think of any like one particular thing, but that's also not bad. Mm-hmm. Like it, everything has been good. That's good. How about you? What's one good thing? Hmm. Would you like to share a good thing, Thomas? I can if you want me to. Sure, you're here. We had a wedding in the family, my youngest brother, this past weekend, and we got to see some family we hadn't seen in a while. The weather was great. Mm-hmm. Our youngest daughter was a flower girl. And if I had to sum my... My nice thing that happened, just like seeing how she was with her cousins that she hadn't seen in a while, mm-hmm. and just how excited, like a bundle of joy she was. And she's been doing this thing with her hair where when she does something and she thinks she's being cute or something like that, I'll say, well, what are you doing? Or why'd you do that? And she'll fling her hair with her hands like, because I'm fabulous. And it's just adorable. Oh, man. <laughs> and uh, after, the, after the rehearsal, we were walking back to the building. And the officiant said something about how well she did. And she just started saying like, yeah, well, I have 20 friends and I make friends easy, blah, blah, blah. And I just met this girl, <laughs> the other floor girl. So now I have 21 friends. And the officiant was like, oh, yeah, I'm sure you got lots of friends. He just, yeah, because I'm fabulous. Oh, man. She was just very precious. And it was a, it was a very good weekend for families. It was. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. I'll so pick- that, can't, that can't be yours, Lindsay. You got to uh, pick something else. I'm just kidding. You you have a different perspective on it. And if I can just step in and say it's it's been quite the honor to sit in on this episode with you. And I do get to see a lot of the stress and frustration and work and effort you put into these things. And I listen to episodes every now and then, but I'm fairly at arm's length with this stuff. But I'm just so proud of how you handle yourself doing these, how you record them. I got to see how the sausage was made. And it's 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 really cool to see. And I don't think people realize how much effort you put into this stuff. And it really does pay off. Thank you. That's my good thing. <laughs> he just said my good thing. <laughs> Hearing him say that is my good thing. Yeah, I do. It is a lot of work. It's a, it's a lot of work. It's a delicate balance. And you obviously enjoy it. This is obviously mm-hmm. fun, but there there is a lot of dirt to shovel before you get to the fun part of the day. Yeah. Yeah. Like this part of it, the part that's happening right now where we're recording and talking to each other is really fun. And I really enjoy editing. I think the hardest part is doing the research, making sure it all makes sense because, you know, I'll start with one source as like my source of truth where I get the bulk of my information from. And then I kind of like piecemeal the other things together to like enhance that main story. And so the worry is always, oh my God, I got to make sure that this has changed. So it's, it's not like I'm paraphrasing the main article or so it doesn't sound right. like I'm plagiarizing it. And so it's 
It's like putting together a puzzle that I don't know the main, the final picture of, and I'm just making it up as I go along. It was very easy to say, hey, do something on Yetis here, something like this, and throw you a link. I'm, I'm surprised at the breadth of stuff that you pulled together for it. Thanks. I would like to thank Google and... All Hail Skynet. All Hail Skynet. And I would like to thank the resources that I'm able to get through the library. Get a library card, folks. Yeah. World of knowledge out there for free if you have a library card. And on that note, I'm going to shut her down. (laughs) So you can find us online at yieldcrimepodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at yieldcrimepod, on Instagram at yieldcrimepodcast. We are on YouTube. You should subscribe because we put out content every week. We have our Mm -hmm. cramp word stream as a separate playlist. If you just want to laugh at people trying to uh, figure out Victorian slang terms, which is always a fun time. Because they it's always sound so much sexual. Harder. It's so much harder than you think it is. You're like, oh, yeah, I totally get that. No, you won't. You I, won't. I guarantee you. Can listen you to so many people that also can't do it. <laughs> I guarantee you, you will not get it. You, you just won't. We have a P.O. box, which I checked today, and it is so lonely. You can send us stuff in the mail. Remember in the mail? What, that, what a yeah. great service that is. You can write us something to Yield Crime Podcast, P.O. Box 341. Wyoming, Minnesota, 55092. You can also email us, send us your questions, which we always love answering. You can send us story ideas, which we also love looking at because sometimes you guys find some really awesome stuff that I have never heard of before. And I'm like, I need to know more about that and share that knowledge with the world. If you want to support the show, but can't do so financially, we got you. Just leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, or Good Pods. And this week's review is from Apple Podcasts, user page 87 with like a double heart emoji as part of her username. So that's cool. Clever. Clever. Clever girl. Says A plus, five stars. Linz and Madison bounce off each other very well. Their vibe is so great. I love these stories. Ace content. Keep up the amazing work. I needed this in my podcast library for sure. Do yourself a favor and subscribe. Nice. Thanks, Paige. Thank you. Two heart emoji right back at you. (laughs) If you can support us financially and you're like, I would love to do that, there are three ways you can do so. You can do it on buy me a coffee and leave a one-time donation. You can do it on Patreon by joining for as low as a dollar a month. That is $12 for the year. And that gets you early ad-free access to all of our content. You can buy our merch on our Public store, which is also a great way to support us and show other people that you like us and get people to be yeah. like, oh, what's that? That sounds cool. Tell me more. And then you sp- help spread the good word of the Yield Crime Podcast. There you go. And on that note, as always, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Madison. And we'll see you next time with another tale. As old as crime.